Greetings in the name of the triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to pastor the small rural congregation in which I was raised. Please join us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information about our small rural congregation, please visit SamanakBaptistChurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K BaptistChurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings. In the name of King Jesus, my name is David Johnson. I'm blessed to serve as pastor here at Salmonach Baptist Church in Salmonach, Illinois. For those of you that aren't able to join us here in person at 10 a.m. on Sundays, I'd like to welcome you to this online option. Again, at 10 a.m. each Sunday, we have safe uh, gatherings in person. And if you're local and you do not have a church family, I would love to welcome you in person to the gathering of God's people here in Salmonac, Illinois. This is April 18th, 2021. SBC family, just a couple of announcements that I wanna make you aware of. Mondays at Salmonac Baptist Church in our community center are a particularly busy evening at 5 p.m. Jen Penn in room, um, I'm actually not sure what number room that is. It's on the far east side of the building on the second floor. Um, She leads um, a yoga class from 5 to 6 p.m. And then 6 o'clock in the gym, we have two pickleball courts set up. And we've had many from our community take advantage of that. And we'd like to welcome you from the community and also from our church family uh, to come be a part of that. Speaking of uh, the gymnasium, basically every afternoon, Monday through Thursday, We love to make the gymnasium open to people within our community who would like to get some steps in. So if you have um, that, um, if that idea strikes you as, hey, I'd like to take advantage of that, uh, please contact us here at the church to confirm availability. But basically every afternoon, Monday through Thursday, uh, we'd like to have some people come in and socially distance, but yet get those steps in. Also, Thursday evenings at Samanach Baptist Church in the Fellowship Hall, we have in-person Bible study starting at 6 p.m. Uh, that's a good way to kind of conclude my work week to gather together around the scriptures with God's people. So in the Fellowship Hall every Thursday at 6 p.m. And then also here on Facebook, YouTube, and also through my podcast, we're, we're working during the SBC Word through the letter we know as Second Peter. So if you log into Facebook at 8 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you find us on YouTube, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or SBC Family, you'll get links to all these sent to your email and your remind. We're walking together section by section through 2 Peter. This week to come, we're going to be finishing chapter 3 and probably begin, or finishing chapter 2 and beginning chapter 3. Uh, so please uh, make yourself, um, avail yourself of that option. We're called to worship this third Sunday of the Easter season by Psalm 4, the fourth Psalm. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. This is God's word. Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Lord Jesus, by the Spirit, awaken within us faith, not only that you rose again, 2,000 years ago, but that you still live and reign and move within our midst. We now ask you to move within this digital space, convincing us that you do live, convincing us that you do serve and minister on our behalf. So we come to you as we are, asking that you would speak a word of healing asking that you would speak a word of affirmation, asking that when we are disturbed, you would speak to us a word of peace, that when we are despairing, you would speak to us a word of hope. Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd. You know us by name. We ask that you now, through the word of God, would call your people by name, giving us what you know we need. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit, and all of us said together, Amen. Our reading from the Gospels on this third Sunday of Easter comes from Luke chapter 24. During this Easter season, we're looking at these post-resurrection appearances because as we saw a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul includes within his apostolic gospel this notion that not only did Jesus die for our sins, not only was he raised, but he also appeared as an act of grace for God's people. So we're looking at these acts of grace where Jesus appears to us in his risen state. And one of my favorite of those appearances is found in Luke chapter 24. Our reading begins in verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands 
and touch and look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Luke 24 is the text that I want us to pay attention to together this morning. And before we look at some grace that Jesus has for us in this text, would you pray together with me one more time? Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the sake of your people, would you open our eyes to understand the scriptures? We pray through the Son and by the Spirit, and all of us said together, Amen. Why does the risen Christ appear, and why does it matter? Last week in the story in John 20 that we know as the story of Doubting Thomas, we understood together that one of the reasons Jesus appears is for the sake of us who have doubts. Indeed, our doubts do not scare the risen Christ away. Indeed, our doubts become something that King Jesus uses to reveal himself to us. So last week, Jesus appeared for us who have doubts. This week in Luke 24, Jesus appears for a similar but different reason. Jesus appears to share a meal. Why is that important? Let's think for a moment about tables and about meals. We're at the conclusion here of, of Luke's gospel, and commentators that I read this week reminded me of something that I had not thought of in some time, that over 60 times in the 24 chapters of Luke's gospel, Jesus is described as eating Jesus is described as sharing a meal with disciples, with Pharisees, with sinners, with tax collectors. Indeed, one of the things that you could use as a theme to tie all of Luke's gospel together is that Jesus enjoys a table. So tables and meals. Often, the first out-of-the-womb experience that a child and a mother's share is a meal. Sociologists say that the closest thing to a sure thing for a healthy family is the regular sharing of a loving meal. That if you want to identify a silver bullet, if there is one, for a good, healthy, nurturing, 
loving family. It's sharing regular meals together. Some of the most significant events during our school years happen where? They happen in the lunchroom or the cafeteria. When I was 16 years old, the school that I attended became aware that Ulinda and I were now just friends. When for the first time in nearly eight months, we didn't sit together at lunch. I still remember vividly walking into that lunchroom, walking into that cafeteria, and Ulinda sat at one table, and I went and sat at another table. In this small school environment, it was almost like there was this hush that settled over the lunchroom. And what revealed the status of our relationship was that we didn't share lunch together. The school became aware two months later that Ulinda and I were back together, that we were now more than just friends. When we sat together and enjoyed a piece of pie at Baker Square after a choir event. You see, meals tend to define relationships. Conflict within relationships can often be healed by sharing a meal. Oftentimes when there's conflict between siblings, when there's conflict between spouses, when there's conflict between coworkers, one of the wise things we can do, one of the peace offerings, one of the olive branches that we can offer is, how about we get lunch together? How about we share a cup of coffee together? Conflict is often healed by sharing a meal. Thinking about these things this week and thinking about what the past now 14 months has almost been like, imagine how many meals COVID-19 has stole from us. A lot of us are feeling lethargic relationally. And a lot of us are, are seeking to do, hey, what can we do to kind of improve our mental health? And oftentimes in that space, one of the things we spend a lot of perhaps unnecessary energy doing is trying to figure out, why do I feel that way? Brothers and sisters, can I just give each of us a big, huge, generous pass? A lot of us are probably feeling emotionally fragile. A lot of us are probably feeling like we have very little margin because a lot of the things that sustain good, healthy relationships, a lot of the things that help us stay mentally balanced and healthy have been taken from us by this global pandemic. Meals are very, very significant in our lives. Let's also quickly think about tables and meals in the Bible. Not only do tables and meals play a significant role in our experience as humans, but if you march through the argument of the scriptures, you'll start to see that meals and tables play a significant role. In Genesis 2.16, we have a second account of creation. Genesis 1 is one account. Genesis 2 is a parallel account. In Genesis 2, the first command that God gives the first humans is a command to eat. In Genesis 3, 6 and 7, the serpent deceived the first humans by convincing them to eat. In Genesis 18, during a very significant moment in Abraham's story, God shares a meal with Abraham. Moses 
Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders almost at the climax of the inauguration of the Sinai Covenant ate and drank with God in Exodus 24, 11. In Leviticus 6, 26, and in many other instructions that the priests receive in the book of Leviticus, Levitical priests are commanded to eat the sin offering. That is provocative in an ancient Near Eastern religious context. Other nationalities, other faiths in that ancient context often made sacrifices of food to the gods. In other words, humans, in order to appease the gods, would often feed the gods. They became servants to the gods. They, they brought gods their meals. But the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wants us to bring him food, but he wants to share it with us. Beloved, Jesus' table habits are what really ticked off the religious people of his day. Listen to this reading from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And as Jesus sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So God commands the first humans to eat. The fall happens by the serpent convincing the first humans to eat with him. Abraham ate with God. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, all the 70 of the elders share a meal with God. Levitical priests don't feed God. They share a meal with God. Jesus' table habit, habits ticked off the religious demographic. Beloved, many pivot points in the story of Scripture center around a meal and one of the most significant of these is Jesus. Jesus gets in trouble with religious and political leaders by eating with the wrong people. Scott McKnight, in probably his most well-known book, The Jesus Creed, says this. The religious person's table story in Jesus' day went like this. You can eat with me if you are clean. If you are unclean, take a bath and come back tomorrow evening. Jesus' table story, on the other hand, clean or unclean, you can eat with me and I will make you clean. Instead of his table requiring purity, Jesus' table creates purity. Jesus chooses the table to be a place of grace. When the table becomes a place of grace, it begins to act. What does it do? We're going to see the climax of Jesus' table habits here at the end of Luke 24. In this text, Jesus appears to us to share a meal. Why is that important? 
I want to back up a little bit from our reading and kind of look at the whole story that's contained in the second half of Luke 24. We're not going to read all of those verses, but I just want to show you how this scene unfolds, how this story unfolds in four scenes. Verses 1 to 12 aren't the first scene we're going to look at, but verses 1 to 12 is Luke's Easter morning story. And then it almost appears as though as Luke, as verse 13 begins, the story could be over. But Luke doesn't end the story there because Luke then immediately begins to say, here's why Jesus appeared. Here's the conclusion to the atoning work of King Jesus. He appears to share a meal. But I want us to see the whom Jesus appears to. Scene one is verses 13 to 27. And in this scene, Jesus opens the scriptures for us who are confused. So they're confused. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, these two uh, husband and wife likely, okay? Husband and wife, Cleopas, and then likely his wife is with him. And they're discussing on the way to Emmaus things that they had heard. Verse 15, Jesus himself kept, came near to them and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, verse 17, notice the confusion. What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And here's Jesus, having had these events happen to him. Here's Jesus, having been betrayed by his disciples. Here's Jesus having experienced crucifixion, having experienced Holy Saturday, having stormed the gates of hell and stolen the keys from the prince of demons. And he's standing here in his resurrected state, and they don't recognize him. Standing here in his resurrected state, and they're still confused. And Jesus still asks them questions. Having redeemed Israel, this husband and wife are still confused. This husband and wife don't believe yet that they have been redeemed. So how does Jesus respond? Interestingly, he doesn't yet show them the wounds in his hands and his side. He doesn't smack them upside the head and say, you fools. He opens the scriptures to them. Verse 25, then he said to them, how foolish you are. I stand corrected. He did refer to them as fools. But notice how Jesus approaches them. Are you now, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared? Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, notice how patient, patient he is. Then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. 
So in scene one, we've got confusion, we've got doubt, we've got eyes that need to be opened. We have a husband and wife being chased down by God and their eyes are closed. Beloved, do you start to see the connection between Cleopas and his wife and Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve had just committed the sin that leaded to the need for atonement and God chases them down in the garden and their eyes are opened to the effects of their sin. And then now in a similar way, God is chasing them down on the road to Emmaus to try to open their eyes to see that their sins have been atoned for. Scene one, Jesus opens the scriptures for us who are confused. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 28 begins scene two. After opening the scriptures for us who are confused, Jesus breaks the bread so that we can see him. That's from verse 28 to verse 35. Just want to show you a few things. Look at verse 28. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay, stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. So Jesus accepts their invitation as the risen Christ. He doesn't force himself upon anyone, but he will come into their home and be their guest if they invite him. They invite him. He comes in and he sees a table. And as Jesus sees that table, he sees an opportunity for relationship. He sees an opportunity for atonement. He sees an opportunity to reveal himself to these disciples. How does Jesus choose to be known in his resurrected state? He chooses to be known through the breaking of bread. Then their eyes were opened, just like Adam and Eve's eyes were opened to their nakedness and their shame. So now this husband and wife, eyes are open to Jesus in his resurrected state, having accomplished their atonement. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? But that wasn't enough. They needed something else besides just a Bible study. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying just the same thing Mary said, the same thing the disciples said. The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made, how he had been made known to them. How in verse uh, 35, in the breaking of bread. So scene one, Jesus opens the scriptures for us who are confused. Scene two, Jesus breaks the bread so we can see him. And then now in scene three, Jesus reveals the reality of which bread and word are 
the shadow. This climactic scene ultimately shows us that the bread is a means to an end, that the scriptures are a means to an end, that ultimately Jesus believes that we don't believe in some religious hocus pocus, that receiving the communion bread is enough, that even receiving the scriptures is enough. He says, ultimately, these things, these sacraments must point to the reality that Jesus is. The scriptures and the bread are a shadow. And who casts that shadow? That shadow is Jesus. This is exactly what Paul says in Colossians about Jesus. The reality has come. The old covenant had the law and, and, and Sabbath and calendars. Those were a shadow, but the reality is Christ. So what does Jesus do as he reveals himself as the reality to which bread and scriptures point? Verse 36, there he goes again, not being very Baptist. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, what does he say, class? Peace be with you. Again, the risen Christ is fond of coming into a gathering of God's people, into a gathering of God's people where they feel anxious, where they feel afraid, where they feel like they have very little margin, where they feel like they want the words of the psalmist to become true. When I was in distress, you gave me room. You gave me space. Anybody feeling claustrophobic? Jesus, in his resurrected state, sees that and comes into our midst to say to us, peace. But notice, just because they see the resurrected Christ, Notice, because he lives, that doesn't yet mean all fear is gone. 37, they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. So, beloved, the cliche that Jesus only has, that we are Jesus only hands, Jesus only feet. Not true. He has hands. He has feet. Verse 39, see that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So Jesus pronounces peace. Our response is to fear and doubt again. So how does Jesus respond? So there's this anxious situation. There's people who are afraid. There's people who are doubting. What's interesting is there in verse 41, there's even just another emotion that's, it's just this hot mess of different emotions. Look at verse 41. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them. So here's the scene. There's just climax. This is like some weird holiday family reunion. You've got some people over in the corner drunk laughing. You've got some people over in the corner frightened. You've got some people over in the other corner confused. You've got the introverts over here and the extroverts over here, and everybody is in their fear and in their doubt feeling horribly chaotic. And what does Jesus say in the middle of that chaos Anybody got something to eat? 
Have you anything here to eat? How does Jesus respond to the fear, the chaos, the hot mess of post-Easter emotion? He says, let's have a meal. And then that meal creates a community. So, scene one, Jesus opens the scriptures for us who are confused. Scene two, Jesus breaks the bread so that we can see him. Scene three, Jesus reveals the reality to which bread and word point. And then finally, all of this has been coming to this glorious conclusion. Jesus establishes a community of word, table, and witness. Then he said to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the whole scriptures of Jesus' day, what we know as the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Beloved, the resurrection leads to the establishing of a community that has at least these three elements, word, table, and witness. Beloved, as a resurrection community of Jesus' disciples, we gather to open the scriptures in search of Jesus. As a resurrection community of Jesus' disciples, we break bread in search of Jesus. As a community of Jesus' disciples, a resurrection community of Jesus' disciples, we bear witness to his death, resurrection, and appearance, and beloved, and the way he appears. He doesn't appear to a press conference. He doesn't appear to force himself on people. He appears to serve. Beloved, our life together should bear witness to the risen Christ, who reveals himself to the fearful, to the doubting, to the confused, he reveals to them through the scriptures and the breaking of bread who he is. Beloved, Jesus reveals a God who wants to share meals with us. Peter Lightheart said this, God created an edible world, but Adam chose to feast with the serpent. God is determined to have us as his dinner guests. History is God's work of rescuing his bride from the table of demons to bring us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Beloved, if you look back in Luke 22, around verse 15, Jesus explicitly says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Beloved, that's what the resurrected Christ reveals. He reveals a God who in the middle of our confusion, our doubt, our claustrophobia, our anxiety, he comes to us and says, anybody got anything to eat? So earlier on, I mentioned how the lunchroom 
and my practice in the lunchroom in high school and Yulinda's practice in the lunchroom revealed the status of our relationship. In November of our junior year, we walked in to lunch and sat at separate tables and the whole school knew that we had broken up. Then in the second week of January of the next calendar year, the same junior year, we walked in and sat together at the same table and the whole school knew that we were back together. Fast forward a couple of years. Fast forward to we're approaching engagement. And there is a moment in our relationship together that I knew I wanted to marry her. We were sitting in her parents' kitchen. And I was hungry, thirsty, needed something to eat, needed something to drink. And without thinking, I got up, opened the refrigerator, and got myself something to drink, got myself something to eat. I knew that my comfort with her and with her family, that my commitment to her and to her family was settled. Why? Because I wanted to share a meal with her. Because I had the need for something to eat and I did what was necessary. Beloved, the God of the scriptures, the God most fully revealed in Jesus is coming to you and to me and saying to you and to me, do you have anything to eat? Because I'm for you. I'm committed to you. We're family. I want to share a meal. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let God rise up. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. Let them exalt before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Christ is risen from the dead, by death conquering death, and to those in the tombs granting life. Risen Christ, hear our prayer. We offer you praise, Lord Jesus, this Easter season for being a God who comes to us, who wants to be known to us through the scriptures, who wants to be known to us through the breaking of bread. Almighty God, loving and kind Father, big brother King Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for being a God who wants to share a meal with us. We confess to you, Lord Jesus, that, that we have wanted our tables, that we have wanted our table at times to tell a story that keeps certain people away. 
We confess that, that we have projected that image upon you, and we have sometimes believed that you are a God who wants us to stay away from your table. We confess that idolatry to you. We confess that false image to you. We name that sin and ask you to heal us of it, that you may form us as individuals and that you may form us as a church to declare the good news of Jesus' saving table, to declare the good news that God comes to us in the risen Christ and asks us for something to eat, that God comes to us as the risen Christ to share a meal with us. God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, Open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us now pray together in the words that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all of us said together, amen. And now I invite you to receive this closing benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all of us said together, Amen.